I'm Rosie Maddio, and welcome to From Pot to Popular, a new podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstreaming cannabis. Welcome to today's episode of Pot to Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Maddio. Today, we're joined by Fabian Monaco, CEO of Gage Cannabis Company, one of the leading operators in Michigan, and just spectacularly raised a Reg A of a whopping $50 million. We think this might be one of the biggest Reg A offerings that has ever happened. Fabian's going to join us today and talk about the growth of Gage and why he thinks the Michigan market is the hottest market in the U.S. Welcome, Fabian. Thanks, Rosie. Thank you for having me on. It's great to have you on, and it's so exciting to watch what's happening with Gage. Um, So you're the president of one of the largest cannabis companies in Michigan. Tell our listeners a little bit about Gage, the origin story, and what led you to the company. So, you know, the two-minute elevator pitch and how you got involved. Yeah, no. So how I got involved in the company, about a couple of years ago, myself and a couple of my former colleagues had met these uh, two operators, uh, two family, I should say, two families of operators uh, in the cannabis space. And they're frankly the the best operators we've ever encountered in the space. And uh, we decided to partner with them and start Gage. It was a little over three years ago. And, you know, we were just really excited about what they had to offer, how they understood the business, how they understood, you know, how to truly create a brand in the space. And it was just really a, a great marriage of, of like-minded individuals, hardworking individuals as well. And um, yeah, it's, it's been absolutely perfect, you know, in terms of the relationship. Uh, the, the company has grown so much and we're really excited with what we have to offer uh, in 2021 to everyone. Yeah, it's really exciting what's happening. And, you know, you see the term brands. And I was talking to, you know, to one of our our, our friends, uh, Jason Wild. Uh, we were saying, you know, the Gage is probably just like one of the coolest brands, you know, in cannabis. Yeah. You know, and we see a lot. So, you know, we're loving we're loving what's happening. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit about you in the background. So you spent the majority of your career in finance in Canada. So I want to hear a l- little bit about your background. And also, so coming into, you know, the space, what opportunities did you see specifically in Michigan when you joined the company? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, as you just said, my, my background is predominantly in, in, in finance and law. Um, I joined the investment banking team that had brought Tweed public. So not a lot of people wow. know this about I me. I know that actually. Yeah, yeah. I, jo- I joined that team a little after they had brought Tweed public uh, and really got to work on a lot of the firsts in the industry from a capital market standpoint. So, you know, the first IPO, the first acquisition in the space when Tweed bought Bedrocan many, many years ago. I uh, got to work on the first $100 million deal. And so I was really involved on the capital market side of things. Um, I joined the, a, a boutique uh, investment bank shortly thereafter. And as part of that, that's how, you know, we, we actually started Gage together uh, shortly after I joined with them. And I think, you know, what attracted me to the Michigan market and really pulled me out of my, you know, typical finance or legal related role uh, was just the fact that Michigan had this massive underlying medical patient base. And we knew that, you know, the state was coming out with their new medical system in 2017. And then more importantly, we knew that uh, adult use was on the docket for 2018. And obviously both of those had passed and gone through their, uh, you know, various processes. And, you know, for us, when we looked at the Michigan market, how strong of a medical patient base they had, well, uh, frankly, the second largest medical patient base only behind California for, for many years, I'd say almost over a decade. And, you know, I think it's right now, I believe Florida has recently overtaken Michigan in terms of medical patients. But again, back to the point of we knew that the adult use market was just going to explode 
when it came online. And we really saw that in 2020. If you look at you know, December 1st, 2019, Michigan is out of the top 10 in terms of monthly sales, out of the top 10s in terms of yearly sales. And, and, and that's combining, you know, even medical and, and adult use sales. And then now you look at Michigan at the end of 2020 and starting this year, you know, they're like a top six market and, you know, had just, just a smidge under a billion in sales uh, in 2020 as well. And so to, to see that quick ramp, you know, we were prepared for it. We knew it was coming. And I think it caught a lot of people by surprise, frankly, because no, I would say Michigan was not on anybody's radar on January 1st, 2020, but it is on everybody's radar now, um, you know, in uh, January, 2021. And it's just, I think we're going to experience phenomenal growth. And so that's really what draw, you know, drew me, I should say to, uh, to, to Michigan in the sense that I knew it was going to be a big market. I knew it was going to be a top five market. And, you know, we were just lucky, I should say as well, that we had the foresight to actually see that many, many years ago. Yeah, to that point, you know, I, th- I think you, you really made it is that um, it had an exceptional 2020 year, right? I think some of the industry data is saying the recreational s- sales jumped 482%, which is wild, right? So I wanted yeah. to know as like an operator, and you said partner with some of the best operators, how were you guys able, how was Gage able to respond to the influx and demand um, one, because of, you know, COVID obviously accelerated a lot of the market, you know, and just, you know, all these new rec uh, consumers coming into the market. So any operational pivots, like how did you guys really prepare and, and address like the massive explosion of this market? Yeah, we just kept our heads down and worked really, really hard, Rosie, in, in terms of refining our product offering, refining our service offering and refining our brand offering, you know, as as each day went by in 2020, obviously, you know, for us, um, I would say we were playing catch up in 2020 year. Fortunately for us, everything we produce usually sells out within a week. And that was the case throughout the 2020 year. We're seeing that even more so in 2021, uh, even though our production, our monthly production has tripled um, since December, actually, as late as December, we uh, we're still having problems keeping our product on the shelf, which is great. It's a great indication of, you know, just how, how excited people are for the for the drops, the product drops that we have on a weekly basis. And, you know, for us, it was just a matter of, you know, recognizing how quick the ramp was and preparing ourselves well before that and just ensuring that, you know, we just kept consistent, stayed true to, you know, what our brand was all about and made sure that every time, you know, a consumer came to either one of our locations uh, in, in, let's call it Detroit or Ferndale um, or Adrian, they just had that consistent experience and that just kept the people coming back more and more and more throughout the year. And we took full advantage of that, obviously. Yeah. And to that point, you guys have, you know, six dispensaries open right now in major cities across the, the state. And, and I believe you guys have seven expected to open by the end of this year, 2021. So, you know, along the lines of the previous question, so what measures are you guys taking to ensure that Gage is scaling at a sustainable rate and that your brand is effectively engaging with customers, you know, especially during the pandemic, right? Customers aren't going out as much. It's now winter time in Michigan. So um, what have you guys done to, to engage with consumers in this interesting you know, time in our lives, I would say? Yeah, so I'll, I'll correct you quickly. So we have six uh, dispensaries open right now. We'll have seven actually by next month. Not by oh my gosh, year. right. Yeah. Oh my God. We hope to have 20 plus by the end of this year. Uh, ideally, 25 is our, is, is our internal goal, but most definitely more than 20. Uh, so we'll have our seventh dispensary open next month. Uh, that will be in Kalamazoo. It will be a, actually the first adult use cookie store uh, in the state right, of Michigan. Right. Because 
the first uh, cookie store was in Detroit. It's probably one of the best performing medical uh, dispensaries in the state. But, you know, the key point of what I just said, it's medical only right now. And hopefully uh, the city of Detroit uh, continues to move along with its adult use uh, implementation or program implementation. And uh, we can convert that store to an adult use store. Um, but, yeah, no, in terms of, you know, ensuring that we consistently have, um, you know, a, 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 a consistent product offering to our consumers, we've really ramped up our cultivation. So we saw in 2020, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, selling out a product within a week's time, sometimes it was within a day. And we, you know, we were noticing that, you know, no matter how much we, you know, continue to produce as 2020 went by, uh, we couldn't keep up with the demand. And so we made a constant effort to, you know, A, obviously ensure we ramped up our own production, but we also partnered with five different uh, contract growers in the state of Michigan. So by the end of by the end of Q1, we'll have probably close to seven or eight uh, locations growing Gage and Cookies branded flour. And so we really made a conscious effort, you know, in early fall to partner with some of these great phenomenal growers in the state of Michigan. And, um, you know, they came to us, they wanted to grow for us on an exclusive basis. And, you know, that was also just a great telltale sign of how, how great our brand was expanding and, and how people appreciated the brand in Michigan. And so now, you know, I'd say by the end of Q2, for sure, we'll have nine different dispensaries producing Gage product. We went from probably, you know, averaging 300 to, you know, 350 pounds of production in, you know, November, uh, October, November-ish for those two months, where we now harvested a thousand pounds of production in December. And we're going to be actually being consistent with that thousand pounds of production on a monthly basis. And then more importantly, our contract growers are just coming online with their product. We'll have some of that product on our shelves by the end of this month. And they ramp up to about 2,000 pounds of production in the April-May time zone. So if you combine our production with their production, we're basically going from three, 350 pounds of product in November to over 3,000 in April and May. So we really, you know, we listened to our consumers. We knew they wanted more. And we made sure that, you know, we have all the new flavors coming, uh, not only from Gage, but also from Cookies. And yeah, people, people better stay tuned because we're coming in quick and fast. Uh, it's unbelievable what you guys have done. And it's no doubt that you guys have established yourselves a, a, as a great operator and somebody's really you know, able to pivot, right? Or really plan ahead, actually, not even pivot, plan ahead. And to that point, a lot of people listen, you know, to the show are, are would-be entrepreneurs in the space um, or, you know, are, are new to the space and might have licenses. And so I would love a, a little piece of advice. So we know four new states will begin uh, to allow adult use in the next year. So based on your experience in Michigan, because you guys have really lived through it, what advice do you give to both regulators and retailers on making the transition as seamless as possible? You've seen, you know, both sides of it. So I'd love to, you know, any advice you could give or things that people should be thinking about as things turn from, you know, med to rec. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I'm no regulatory expert, but I'll, I'll for sure point out on a couple of things that Michigan has done really well. So Michigan's product offering, I would say is, you know, second to none. It's very similar to the product offering that you have in California. You go into a California dispensary, you can pretty much get any product under the sun. It's very, very similar in Michigan as well. And that really, really helps combat the illicit market. When you go into a, an, a, into a dispensary, whether you're in you know, California, Michigan, Illinois, you want that capability of basically buying um, you know, pretty much everything under the sun when it comes to cannabis. So I'd say, you know, Michigan did a great job with that. They actually allow consumption lounges as well, which is right. another way of, you know, I guess, encouraging 
you know, more, uh, let's call it legal consumption. And so, you know, for us, we're going to have our own consumption lounge, um, probably up and running in Q2. Um, and so we're really looking forward to that as well in Michigan. And so all in all, you know, one, one, one recommendation would be simply to ensure that, you know, you have that product variety and ensure that, you know, you give people that capability to really not have to go to the illicit market to, you know, get a product that they want to consume. And then on the operator side of things, I think, you know, people need to understand that you constantly need to innovate if you want to be a top-notch brand in the space. If you look at some of the other, you know, great brands coming out of California, like the Cookies brand or Jungle Boys, these, these companies are constantly innovating with their product offering, their flavors and their strains. They're coming out with new ones almost on a daily basis, it feels like. And we try to emulate ourselves. We try to emulate towards, you know, having a similar model where we as well, you are constantly coming out with new flavors for, for our consumers. And so if you take a look at, you know, having a, a, an operation where you're just growing the same strain or the same couple of strains on a consistent basis, that's going to get pretty old pretty fast. And more importantly, you need to just really, really focus on, you know, pheno hunting and coming with, you know, that kind of new fire product that people really, really expect from uh from a from a top-notch brand and so that's that's one thing i'd I'd say to the operators or would-be operators in some of these new states this is what i love about the michigan model it's like they have really thought they've really brought every type of you know delivery mechanism as as really it's like product offering and also like delivery there's going to be delivery you know at some point throughout michigan right you have the retail you have the consumption and you have the product mix and i was just doing a panel last night with a liz connors from headset who's telling us just how huge like edibles are in the Michigan market, right? So yeah. like if you offer this great selection of products and, and give those consumers an option, you know, they're adopting it, which is great. With other markets, you know, sometimes they, they launch with like limited product SKUs. So I think that's one of the coolest things we're seeing out of Michigan. Um, totally. Yeah. And then in a number of states, you know, recreational rollouts are being stalled because they couldn't agree on the effective social equity programs, right? Which is also something Michigan, I think, has done well. And you guys have done some amazing things. So how can businesses take the lead when it comes to addressing these issues in the industry? And I'd love you to talk about some engaged initiatives that you guys are launching as well, because I think they're really special and I'd love for, to talk about them. Yeah, you know, for us, uh, we obviously recognize uh, the 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 pain and, and, and let's call it trouble that a variety of individuals have had to go through over the years uh, with the war on drugs. And, you know, our social equity program, we really try to find, you know, individuals um, and, and we give them the opportunity from a financial standpoint to really kickstart their brand. And so our first social equity recipient has just a phenomenal brand, does amazingly well. Um, and, and you know, it's just, it's just great to see, you know, a scenario where, you give someone the opportunity from a financial standpoint and also from an operational standpoint and basically teach them all that we know. And in some instances, some of these individuals actually teach us something as well, you know, on the operational side of things in terms of just, you know, certain ways of doing things or how to tweak certain things of, you know, from their past experience in the, in, in the space. And to see someone, you know, go from, let's call it, you know, uh, having just an idea to being, you know, um, uh, just a, a top notch, you know, kind of, you know, brand in and of itself is just a phenomenal thing to see. Um, you know, it's, it's no right answer, to be honest with you, when it comes to social equity programs. Again, we went about it to try to uh, issue over 20 or 20 actually grants to, to 20 different uh, social equity participants in our program. Uh, we hope to get those all out um, by the end of this year. 
Uh, so obviously encourage people to, you know, obviously apply to the program. Uh, we would love to kind of get that money in people's hands as quick as we can. Because again, you know, not only are they starting their own company and doing something great for themselves, um, you know, they're, again, they're also helping us along the way, teaching us new things and also giving us an opportunity to have like a brand new cool brand on our shelves. And so that's what we love the most is actually seeing the, the end product that comes out of some of these social equity uh, recipients where, um, you know, they're coming out with such cool products and cool brands. And it's just a pleasure working with some of them. Yeah, And I love it that you're using like your actual capabilities, like to make it happen, right? You have the infrastructure and just, you know, doing the work, you know, alongside, you know, the, the equity candidates. I think that's just a really awesome approach. Um, but I want to take another step back. You know, you talked about working in the, in, in the public markets before the capital markets and helping bring, you know, Tweed public. Um, in 2019, uh, you guys appointed, Gage appointed Bruce Linton, the founder and former CEO of Canopy Growth, um, as a company's executive chairman. So, I, you know, everyone always asks about that. So how did your, uh, your team first connect with Bruce? Um, and what was Gage's value proposition at the time to make him, you know, w- want to take the bat? Yeah, so, you know, for... Uh, for myself and you know a couple of my former colleagues, we've known Bruce for for many many years. Uh, obviously, when I was uh, more on the investment banking side, I was you know just joined that team that had brought him public, worked on a lot of his his first in the industry tweets, first in the industry. Uh, I joined a, a boutique investment bank that uh, was also one of uh, Bruce's and, and Canopy's predominant advisors on on a lot of the transactions that he did. So I've known him for many many years, and you know when Bruce. Um, let's call it departed from, uh, from his previous role, I wanted to, uh, and, and, you know, some of my colleagues, uh, some of my former colleagues, we wanted to take advantage of just his insight. You know, he really took a company from, from, from nothing to, you know, a multi-billion dollar behemoth, you know, and, and he actually, you know, paved the way for so many of us, I'd say from a capital market standpoint, just the, the ability to go out there and actually, um, get the industry at the forefront of service providers or investors. It was just, it was just fantastic. And even from just a, um, a listing standpoint, his ability to you know, be one of the first to go uh, on the U S uh, reckon on a U.S. recognized exchange. So his experience from that side of things and also his operational experience was just so deep. And so we really wanted to take advantage of, you know, having that insight and having that consistent insight as we grew gauge and Bruce, you know, he came to he came to see us pretty early on uh, many years ago, and he was just you know totally floored by the operations that we had, and quickly wanted to join us. And so, you know, all in all, he's been a phenomenal partner for us. He's had, um, you know, we've had countless meetings, for, you know, with him in terms of just you know high level strategy, and and we're always learning from him from some of the things that he did right and some of the things that he did wrong, um, you know, through his time with Canopy. And, you know, that insight, frankly, is invaluable to a company like ours as we try to go from, you know, nothing to a multi-billion dollar company as well. Yeah. So I, to that point, are there any retail, you know, growth investment lessons, you know, that um, and you guys are both hailing from Canada and both were, you know, involved, uh, you know, in the, those capital markets. What can the U.S. market learn from Canada? What are those key takeaways? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, what the U.S. can learn from Canada is, is, is really the speed of the rollout. And so um, the speed of the rollout of like the actual adult use program. If you take a look at Canada, you had this bifurcated process amongst all the provinces, which is essentially our states, um, where you know, one of the biggest provinces being, in, being Ontario, uh, really didn't roll out re- uh, retail in, uh, in an appropriate way. They're really slow at doing so. 
And that just created a situation where you had a, you know, a province that was, you know, close to 13 million people in terms of population bigger than Michigan. And you weren't taking advantage of that population. And then even in some of the other, you know, provinces, again, the retail rollout wasn't as, as, as uh, swift, let's call it. Um, now you look at the Canadian numbers. Uh, I think last month, I think it just came out today, it was 260 million in sales. That's like now the second largest cannabis market in North America, only behind California. So Canada is really coming into its own. And that's again, because retail has expanded at an exponential pace in the province of Ontario. So when you have a province that pretty much makes up, you know, let's call it a third of your population and, and you're having a slow retail rollout, I just think, you know, it really hampered the industry. And then more importantly, I think a lot of the licensed producers here in Canada, again, you know, back to a couple of my previous points, we're thinking that, you know, if you grew a couple of strains, people would just buy those strains and would always want to buy those strains and flavors. It's just not the case. The consumers that have, you know, been consuming cannabis products for many, many years, they want that new flavor. They want that new product on a consistent basis. And so I think, you know, a lot of the licensed producers are now starting to realize that. And then also just the rollout of, you know, more and more product offerings that like we didn't have the ability in Canada to, you know, on day one of adult use sales have, you know, the product set that we get, you know, in Michigan or that we had in Michigan on the first day of adult use sales. And so I think that's important as well. If you're really going to tackle the illicit market in your respective state or your respective country, you really got to go and say to yourself, okay, I want to give pretty much the exact same offering that someone is getting in the illicit market and make sure I'm giving it to them on the legal side of things as well. If I'm going to say to them, hey, you can have flour, but you can't have vapes, or you can have vapes, but you can't have flour, you know, whatever it may be, you know, um, you just, you're just not going to tackle that illicit market as well as you could. Yeah, well, we're hearing, you know, they're talking about the New York, you know, regulations, uh, you know, based in New York uh, coming down and there there might not be delivery provision when like every single person in the listen market gets it by delivery in New York City specifically, like it's like the delivery capital of every type of thing in the world. Like exactly. that's not going to work, you know, if you want to yeah. move people off the illicit market, it's just not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think that um, to that point, you know, really giving, you know, customers what they need is, is the way we're all going to win. And, you know, talking about, you know, the public markets, Last October, you guys announced, Gage announced that you're going to be going public on the CSC by the end of Q1 in 2021. So how are your team leveraging this to create future growth opportunities? And also, are you eyeing any new markets outside of Michigan? Yeah, so we're, we're still on pace for that goal. Uh, we want it to be a publicly traded company uh, by the end of Q1 2021. Uh, so obviously at the end of this current quarter, uh, we're still on pace to make that happen. I think, you know, the exposure you get as a company, the access to capital, the cost of capital is, is, is greatly reduced um, when you're a publicly traded company versus private. Um, more importantly, you know, it's at the perfect time in our growth trajectory where we're really coming into our own. You're going to see some phenomenal numbers coming out of Gage in Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 this year. And so we really want to make sure that we were showcasing that on, on a broad basis by being a publicly traded company. And so again, well on pace for that. And, you know, just in terms of, you know, where we want to be as a company moving forward, um, you know, when you are publicly traded, again, you, you are front and center for pretty much, uh, 
every single investor in the space and then more importantly consumers as well right they see you know they come to your gauge dispensary they consume the gauge product and in fact they can actually become gauge owners as well it's predominantly why we had you know gone through the reg a plus financing process in the u.s a couple months ago in the sense that we wanted to ensure that even you know the little small shareholder had an opportunity to become a, an owner of gauge and so um, that went phenomenally well. Obviously, we're, we're, we're just finishing up uh, the last kind of, you know, um, little administrative items uh, with that financing and we'll have an announcement soon on that. And yeah, just full, uh, full steam ahead for uh, being a publicly traded company thereafter. And um, are you guys eyeing any new markets outside of Michigan or are you guys focused on where you are right now? Yeah, so for us, uh, I think, you know, when you take a look at our, our, our return on invested capital in Michigan, it's it just it's just too good right now for us to really be distracted by any other markets. We love uh, a variety of markets uh, in the U.S. Uh, we think there are at least you know a handful of states that we'd love to be in today. But again, we don't want to we don't want to distract our team. We don't want to bite more than we can actually chew. We have a great you know opportunity ahead of ourselves to be a, a leader in Michigan to really get deep market share in that particular state. We're going to follow a model similar to TrueLeaf, where TrueLeaf you know simply dominated the Florida market, continues to dominate the Florida market, has deep market share, and then use that success that they built in Florida to springboard them into other states. And we're going to do the exact same thing. Once we feel comfortable. Not a bad model uh, to, to be following, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. And, and again, too, it's, 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 when you look at Florida, it's a top five market. When you look at Michigan, we know it's going to be a top five market, too. So it's, you know, besides a couple other states, where else would you want to be, right, when you're already in a top five market? Why not be the market leader in that top five market and then go out to, you know, a couple of the other markets and, and, and do just as well there as well? But you know, using that success from your home base I find is just a, a way better strategy than, you know, quickly spreading ourselves out too thin. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, speaking about, you know, the United States, we're having this conversation just days after the new administration and Senate were sworn in. So how do you think America's new political landscape will shape cannabis reforms in 21? And are there any particular piece of legislation that you and your peers in industry are watching closely? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously it goes without saying it was, it was a, a phenomenal past couple months from a, uh, you know, that standpoint, we just have so much excitement that there'll be regulatory change coming. Uh, there's a lot of chatter and rumors that regulatory change is coming. And I think, you know, for us, um, you know, legalization is not, not as important, frankly, right away as some of the other items that have been, you know, recently discussed. And so these types of items include, you know, the ability to have proper banking, finally, for this industry. Um, you know, unfortunately, the things that, you know, us, uh, operators in the space have to go through from a banking standpoint and even just a cost of capital standpoint is just ridiculous. And, and, and to have, you know, um, some relief in that, in, in that regard is just going to do wonders for the industry. It's going to help, you know, frankly, from an administrative standpoint and more importantly, from a cost of capital standpoint. And then even, you know, the ability to potentially list on a U.S. recognized exchange um, again, will be a, a phenomenal opportunity for, for us as an industry to get that recognition, to get that capability. You see how all the Canadian licensed producers trade on those right. recognized U.S. exchanges. They trade 
you know, sometimes I've seen actually, I think one of them almost did a billion one time um, in, in and trades. US and News like usually, that. right? Which is like, yeah, so, far, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just again, you know, you have, you have just a more recognition and, and you have the capability of having just so many more investors participate in your company when you actually are on a US recognized uh, exchange. And then lastly, um, you know, the potential for 280E to, you know, stop being such a massive headache for the industry as well would be a massive, massive win for us uh, from obviously from a free cash flow basis. Um, it would do wonders for the company to, you know, instead of obviously having that problem, reinvesting that capital into the business for growth. And again, you know, tackling the, the illicit market as, as, as best as we can as we move forward here. Yeah, I think those are um, so some some things we're all looking forward to or hoping that's going to happen, you know, in the next you know year or a couple of years from now. Fabian, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to see what's going to happen with Gage this year. It's, it's been awesome working with you guys and looking forward to seeing that that listing and see more stores open over the next year. Yeah, thanks so much, Rosie. Really appreciate you having me on and, um, you know, just uh, really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thank you.